Hi, everyone. I'm George Davis, and I, I also want to thank you for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. Also, uh, just a reminder that later in the service, we're going to take communion together. So whatever elements you would like to use in terms of something to eat and something to drink, I encourage you to go ahead and uh, get that now. And uh, in a few moments, I'll just invite you to join me so that we can really do this together. Now, as, as I get started, I want, I want you to do a thought experiment with me. Just imagine, okay, imagine for those of us who work, imagine tomorrow you go to your workplace and you are uh, pulled aside by your supervisor. And your your supervisor just wants you to be aware that that there's been a complaint from one of your coworkers made about you. Um, maybe it was about some project you're working on together, some action you took, something you said, and you were advised that this other person didn't appreciate that. And and as you're standing there hearing this told to you, it it is it's so hard to hear because the reality is that person has completely misunderstood what you were doing or what you were saying or what you were trying to do. Or imagine um, there's something you post or a comment you make on online, on Facebook, Instagram, or another platform, and, and someone responds back, and it's, it's just very clear they don't get where you are coming from. Now, whether you've had something like that happen or not, I, I think at some point, all of us know that experience of being misunderstood, Right? Don't, don't you know what that's like to have someone really misunderstand what you were doing or what you meant by a certain comment? Or to have a person kind of project onto you certain motives that, that weren't the case at all. Have you known that experience where it's like this, this person just doesn't get me? Or um, they, they don't understand what I was trying to do. Hasn't, hasn't that happened to you before? Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to be misunderstood? Do you, do you know what it's like to, to really walk away from a situation and say, they don't get me, they don't know who I am? Just if, if that's happened to you, and, and my guess is for some of us it's happened recently, just think about, think about what that experience was like and, and how you processed it, okay? Just think about that for a moment. And if you know what that's like, uh, to have someone do that to you, think about this. What if there are ways in which we can do the very same thing to God? What if it, th there are ways in which I can have an understanding of God, I can have certain assumptions, certain beliefs about God that are totally wrong? What if I'm misunderstanding God? Now today we're continuing our journey through the Ten Commandments. For some of you, maybe this is the first time you're joining us. So we're in this series entitled The Ten Commandments, Guidelines, and Guardrails. And, and, and what we're understanding as we go through the Ten Commandments is, particularly for those of us who are now followers of Christ, the Ten Commandments can serve as, first of all, as guidelines. They, they help give us an understanding of what this path of following Jesus looks like. 
Furthermore, they can be guardrails. That is, they, they put warning signs uh, in our lives to say, hey, here's a place where if you're not careful, you will get off that path. And there are dangers that uh, await us if we choose to make those decisions, those choices. Last week, we uh, talked about the first commandment, where, which says, you will have no other gods before me. And this week, we're going to come to the second commandment. And, and, and what we're going to see as we come to the second commandment is that in so many ways, it is a warning about misunderstanding who God truly is. So with that in mind, let's now come to uh, Exodus chapter 20 again. And this is Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So at first glance, this commandment seems to be pretty clear. Right? Don't, don't make for yourself an image. You can also translate that. Don't make for yourself an idol. But, but what does this have to do with misunderstanding God? Well, we'll get, we'll get to that in a moment. But let's, let's start by looking at the second part of this, what you might call the motivation for taking this commandment seriously. And the motivation is, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, wait a minute for a second. Uh, I thought jealousy was a bad thing, right? Right, being envious of others. Normally when we use that term, it's used with a a negative emphasis. And in, in Hebrew, this term can be used with that same kind of emphasis as well. However, it can also be used to communicate a type of zeal. A desire to protect, for instance, it can be used to describe a husband who wants to protect his marriage from the destructive forces of idolatry. And, and remember what has just happened as these, these commandments have been given, right? God has just brought the people out of Egypt, out of bondage. He has established a new relationship with them. He's established his covenant, and he's, he's now jealous to protect that, jealous to protect his people, jealous for that relationship, jealous that they not be uh, consumed or fall victim to the destructive results of, of pursuing other gods, and, and there are consequences for those if they choose to disobey, right? Because then we get this punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the four, third and fourth generation. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that people in Israel would ultimately be cursed? They'd be held accountable for what their grandparents did or what happened three or four generations ago? Well, I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. The idea is not you're going to be held accountable for what your grandparents did. But the idea is if if subsequent generations repeat the same negative patterns, they too will experience the consequences of their sin, right? It's, it's not just subsequent generations. It's subsequent generations of those who hate me. So this is really a statement that is highlighting the stability of God's justice and his judgment. 
Nonetheless, even while this highlights the reality of God's judgment, which we have to take seriously, the emphasis still falls on God's love and mercy because he says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So here's what's happening in this commandment. God is inviting, commanding um, his people to to live in a way, to, to walk the path that he is placing before them to embrace that relationship that he has created and really as we talked about last week to live in the freedom that that new relationship creates but but again what exactly is prohibited what exactly are we to understand this prohibition to mean you shall not make for yourself an image so let's let's kind of unpack that a little bit more so what's prohibited What is the guardrail that this commandment is looking up? Well, you might say, well, that's clear, George. It's right. Don't make an image. Don't make an idol. And I guess our first thought is, therefore, you shouldn't worship other gods. Now, I think that's implied. But if if that's all that this commandment is about, how is it different from the first commandment? In reality, this isn't simply a prohibition against making idols of other gods. I think it's It's also a warning against making an idol, a carved image of the true God. Maybe you could think of it this way. The first commandment is about worshiping the true God. It's about worshiping God exclusively. The second commandment is about worshiping the true God in the right way. It's about worshiping him appropriately. In other words, I think at the heart of this commandment is the implication don't misunderstand God who God really is. Don't diminish him. Worship him for who he truly is. And even as we talked about, even as you and I can be misunderstood by others, so we can misunderstand God, even when we think we're actually worshiping him. I mean, think for a moment about what happens a few chapters later in Exodus, right? Remember, Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the law. And the people become restless. They become unsettled, kind of, this is taking too long. We've got to do something, right? We need to get things moving. And so they go to Aaron, and, and, and a plan is created, right? Aaron, Moses' brother, comes up with this plan. We're going, to, we're going to make a calf to worship. So they collect gold, and they make an image of a golden calf. And then he builds an altar, and he says, we're going to have a festival to the Lord. And we learn that's all wrong. But even as we understand that that's wrong, let's just put ourselves in that scene for a moment and stand with those Israelites in front of that altar. And think about this, right? All your life, all your life you've heard stories about the past. You've heard about, you know, you're a descendant of Abraham and you've heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've heard the family history. But in so many ways, they were just stories. And in the meantime, you'd grown up in Egypt, grown up in an environment surrounded by nature gods, idols, religious practices, grown up where uh, people would offer sacrifices to these idols to try to secure certain results. And now the unthinkable has happened. It turns out those stories you've heard were true, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has now acted in a powerful way to deliver you out of your imprisonment, out of bondage. But now things, they're not going quite according to plan, and we're getting nervous. We look around, we're all restless. We've got to do something. 
And under this stress, what we do is we just kind of revert to what comes naturally. We revert to what we know best. So let's, let's worship God the way we saw the other gods worshipped in Egypt. And that's what happens. Now, from Aaron's perspective, they're, they're worshiping the one who brought them out of Egypt, right? They're just doing what's familiar, what's most natural, what's most comfortable. This is how we're going to worship God. But what's clear is in, in actually doing that, they were misunderstanding God. They were diminishing who God really was. In building that image, they lost sight of God's transcendence, right? They made an image of a an animal, a creature, but, but God is distinct from his creation. He's not part of the created order. Likewise, God is spirit, and yet they, they created an inanimate object. And, and in so many ways, they misunderstood God and diminished God by what they did. Furthermore, furthermore, where, where, where did they get the idea of, of making a calf? Why did, they, why did they create that image? Well, they did because they'd seen it done before. Certain deities in both Egypt and Canaan were associated with a bull or calf. So, in essence, what was going on, they were were projecting their ideas, their beliefs, their understanding onto God. And they were diminishing him in the process. Now, most likely, none of us has ever had a desire to to melt down precious metals that you own and and form some kind of image that you can worship in your living room. Yet, the truth is this. There are ways in which I can do the very same thing the Israelites were doing here. Ways I can misunderstand God. Ways I can diminish him. Ways I can project my ideas and beliefs onto him, even when I think I'm worshiping the true God. Now, let, let me just give you just a couple of examples of the ways that, that I may do this, ways that I can actually diminish God, even when I think I'm, I'm worshiping him. So one way I can do this is, is really by viewing God as my divine employer. Now, if you're employed, uh, you, there are certain expectations that go with your job, certain things that you're required to do. Likewise, you have certain expectations of your employer, right? Things like compensation, certain benefits perhaps may go along with your job. And, and the truth is some people kind of look at God that way, right? I've become a Christian and now God has done certain things for me. I need to do certain things for him. And when I do certain things for him, he will do certain things for me. And it's... It's kind of a transactional relationship. And in so many ways, much of the um, idolatry of the ancient world kind of worked in that fashion, right? You offer the sacrifices and you want God to give you uh, good crops, fertility, good weather, et cetera, et cetera. And I even think that mindset was at work when, when they built the golden calf, right? We're, we're, we feel like we've gotten stuck here. Things need to move on. So let's start this worship and maybe that will kickstart the process. And so one of the ways I can really misunderstand God is by viewing him as, as well, he's just my divine employer. So if I will do certain things for him, he will do certain things for me. Here's another way we can, I think, diminish God. We can misunderstand God. I view him as a merciless judge. Maybe when I read the Bible, I really lock into those passages, even like that part of Exodus 20 that I just read that, that, that described God's justice and his judgment. And when I think about God, that's all I see. Maybe, maybe there's an issue in my past. 
an issue that is a source of shame and guilt. And so um, even when I think about that issue, it kind of creates a nagging sense that I'm never going to measure up. I'm always falling short of meeting expectations, and I'm, I'm really unable to undo the mistakes of the past, and so I, I kind of just view God as a merciless judge. On the other hand, kind of the other end, maybe I just view God as, you know what, God is a, a genie in the bottle. You know what, God loves me regardless. I mean, the Bible says so much about God's love, so it really doesn't matter what I do. I don't really even have to take him seriously, but, but if, if I get stuck or if I'm trying to solve a difficult problem, I'm trying to make a hard choice, then, well, I just kind of rub the bottle. That's when I go to God. That's when I pray. And otherwise, I can handle things on my own. But at certain moments, I'm going to go for him for help. And he's, he's just a genie in a bottle. And finally, just, this is just another example. Maybe my view of God is he is distant and disinterested. You know, I believe in God. I'm engaged in church. But I really, I really operate as if God is disconnected from my life. The truth is, even, you know, maybe I come to church, I watch it on Sundays, but, but for the rest of the week, I, I just assume God's not really there. He's, he's just not connected to, to me. He's, he's not really interested in who I am. So here, here are some of the ways in which I think we can misunderstand God, some of the ways we can diminish God, even though we feel like, hey, I'm I'm trying to follow Christ, I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus, and yet the reality is these kinds of diminishing viewpoints can can be at work. And so let me ask you this question. Are, Are there ways in which you see yourself in any of these? Are there ways in which you might be kind of projecting your own ideas, your own preferences onto God? And the truth is, if you're doing that in your own way, you may be making God into an idol. Now, let me, let me show you one reason why I think we need to pay attention to this, why this is important. Let's just talk about uh, what can happen when I do this. Let's, let's fast forward in Israel's history. Right, they ended up spearing, They end up experiencing, a, you know, kind of a, a, a wilderness period, wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience. But finally, it's time for them to enter the land. And as Moses prepares for them to enter this land that God is giving them, he gives them the law one more time, and that's the book of Deuteronomy. And in doing so, he reminds them of what happened the first time God gave them the law. And part of that occurs in Deuteronomy 4. Now, listen to these words. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, or Mount Sinai, out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape. And the passage goes on to explain ways you can do that. But notice what we are being reminded of is that that second commandment, right? Don't make an idol. But notice, notice part of the warning. It's you need to watch yourself carefully. And you can, you, can, you can even translate this, watch your soul carefully so that you do not become corrupt. Now, do you get what's, <laughs> what's happening here? I mean, 
Moses is, is saying that, you know, when, when we have a diminished view of God, when we have a misunderstanding of God, when we project our own ideas and images onto God over time, it, it will do something to us. Watch yourselves carefully so that you do not become corrupt. And I think what we're saying is a, a diminished view of God can distort my life. That was true then. I think it's, it's true now. When, when we have a, a diminished view of God, it, it has consequences in what our lives look like. For instance, maybe, maybe I, I really do view God as an employer, right? And so if, if my life gets complicated, I, kinda, I start wondering, okay, so what did I do wrong, right? I kind of get locked into the mindset, well, you know what? I just got to work harder for God because if I, if, I can, if I can meet the job requirements that are on my side, then God is going to do what's on his side and my life will get back to normal or my life will go according to my plans, and somehow what's happening in my life is I'm losing sight of God's transcendence. I'm losing sight of, of maybe the wonder of how God can be at work, even in complicated situations. Of course, I, I, I may get frustrated if, if things aren't going my way and I view God this way. I mean, I may even start to wonder, what's the point, right? I kept my side of the bargain and he's not keeping his. And I think ultimately, over time, I'm... I'm missing out on the reality of God's grace and God's love that are mine through Christ Jesus. I mean, think about, think about that right, the parable that we often call the parable of the prodigal son, but think about the older brother in that story who is so close to the father, who spent every day working in the father's house, but he never, he never completely grasps the reality and depth of the father's love because he always viewed his father really simply as an employer. So if, if, I view, if I view God just as an employer, that's going to have a distorting work in my life. Or maybe, maybe I view God as distant and disinterested, right? I mean, I, as I said, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm involved in church. I, I, hear, I hear the scripture proclaimed. I, I sing the songs. But, but really, when I'm away from church, there's just a disconnect between my identity as a follower of Christ and what's actually going on in my life because I, I just view God as disinterested and distant. There's, there's no connection between maybe what I hear on a Sunday and the rest of my week. And then life gets complicated. And because I view God as distant and disinterested, it's like, I've got to figure this out. I've just got to handle this on my own. And what I may do when life gets complicated is I, I, I may just try to shrink it down so that it becomes something that I can control, right? I, I want to shrink my life down and maybe my invi- involvement in the lives of others. I just want to shrink my life down so that I can control it. And, and my life just can, kind of just turns in on itself. And what's happened is I've, because I've, I've, I've viewed God as distant and disinterested, that's doing something to me. And once again, I, I think I've, I'm, I'm losing sight of the wonder of who God is, the majesty and his ability to be at work in different situations, his transcendence, his faithfulness, the promises that are mine in Christ Jesus. Because I view him in, as disinterested and distant, my life has become this instead of this. So we, we've got to come to grips with the reality that 
when I have a diminished view of God, when I misunderstand God, when I project my ideas onto God, over time it, it will distort my life. So the guardrail of this commandment, I think, is it's, it's warning me against misunderstanding God. It's warning me against diminishing God. So how do I, how do I prevent this from happening? Well, think again about what we just read in, in Deuteronomy, right? I mean, what Moses reminded the people was when you were at Mount Horeb, you, you encountered God. You heard from God. God, through his law, revealed himself to you. And I, I think we protect ourselves from misunderstanding God by paying attention to how he's revealed himself. We, we protect ourselves from kind of allowing our lives to be distorted through a misunderstanding of God by paying attention to who God really is. We stay a, on the path as we pay attention to God's revelation of himself and, and we allow God to be God. I think this, this comes as we, you know, we are attuned to how God reveals himself in Scripture. And so Scripture needs to be a part of our going, ongoing spiritual rhythms. And ultimately, I think we, we stay on the path and understand who God is by paying attention to Jesus. But she, because Jesus is the way God has ultimately revealed himself to us. Along those lines, let me, let me just remind you of, of Paul's thought process in Colossians chapter 1. Right in Colossians chapter 1, Paul prays for uh, these early followers of Christ. He prays that they would live a life worthy of their calling, really worthy of the gospel. And in essence, he's praying that, you know what, I want, I want you to stay on this path. And as he prays for them to stay on the path of what it looks like to follow Christ, he prays for four things. First of all, he prays really for an increasing knowledge of who God is. He prays for good fruit. He prays that they're going to have endurance when things get hard. And he prays that they're going to be thankful along the way. And in essence, I think he's praying, hey, this is what this path looks like. And I want to pray that you'll stay on the path. But but he realizes to stay on the path, one of the important things you need is, is knowledge of God who God really is. Because when you, under, you understand who God is and what he's done through Christ, then that, that, that becomes motivation and empowerment to do good works. And when you understand who God is and what he's done through Christ, then that helps us develop patience and endurance even when life gets complicated. And when you understand who God is and what he's done through Christ, that can give you the opportunity to be thankful even in the midst of very different things that you will experience. So he's praying for them to stay on the path. And then what does he do in the very next paragraph? He talks specifically about Jesus. He reminds them specifically of who Jesus is as both creator and redeemer. And this this is just part of that paragraph. The son is the image of the invisible God. In other words, do you want to understand who God is? Do you want to make sure you're not creating little idols of God? Then look at the true image of God. And the true image of God is his son. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, right? So this talks about Christ's role in creation and his sovereignty over creation. But he's also the source of, of our transformation and redemption. And he is the head of the body of the church, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.
And notice what Paul is doing here. He wants, right, he's encouraging them to stay on this path of following Christ. And he realizes that knowledge of God is a central part of doing that so that we understand how God has revealed himself. We're not simply projecting our ideas, our preferences onto God. And so to help the Colossians really do that well, he takes time to say, and so I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to remember who Jesus is, what he has done. I want you to understand the power that is at work through him over creation so that you're not intimidated or you're not overwhelmed by fear or anxiety when things get complicated because you understand who he really is. And I want you to understand not only who he is in creation, but also who he is in redemption. That through his work, he is now reconciling things to himself. He is now the source of our peace. He is the one bringing shalom. And so Paul says, look, to stay on this path, you have to understand who Jesus Christ is. And so I think maybe the part of the challenge of this first commandment is when we're in danger of diminishing God, when we're in danger of misunderstanding God, and even as we've been talking, maybe there are ways in which you understand, you know, here's, here's how, how I do that sometimes. Here, here's how I can project my ideas onto God. Here's how I can diminish him. Or, or even here's how I can project my preferences onto God. When you understand those dangers, the invitation of this command is, therefore, in light of those dangers, you, you've got to look and remind yourself of who God is. And for us as followers of Christ, that's coming back, reminding ourselves of, of who Christ is. When I'm tempted just to kind of uh, view God as distant and disinterested and allow my life just to shrink in, no, I've got to come back to who Christ is and what he's done for me and the reality he's now invited me to follow. And at times I'm not going to understand that, but he's going to be faithful to his promises. So ultimately for us now, I think the invitation of this command is to remind ourselves of who Christ is and what God has done through him. Now let me remind you that throughout this series, we're making available a collection of cards. Uh, You can pick these up at church. We're also attaching a PDF to the bulletin each week. So if you want to print these out, you can do so at home. And these cards have the Ten Commandments. Each Each card has a copy of one commandment on one side, and then it's a blank on the other. And what I'm encouraging you to do each week is after we've talked about these commandments to, to in essence, go back and rewrite the commandment for yourself in your own words. So maybe uh, this week, I want to encourage you to do that. And maybe, maybe this week, part of the way you write out the commandment is just to acknowledge, you know, in terms of not making any idol or image of God, you, you just acknowledge, you know, here's a way, here's a way I sometimes diminish God. I, I will, I will, not look at him as my divine employer. Instead, I will remind myself of who Christ is and what God has done for me through him, right? I encourage you to rewrite that in a way that perhaps you acknowledge a manner in which you can misunderstand God, but you also acknowledge the importance of coming back to who Christ is and what God has done through him. That's the invitation of the second commandment. Now, in light of talking about coming back to Christ, let's just close our time together uh, in a time of communion. So I'm going to 
invite you to kind of get whatever uh, supplies you're going to use, what you would like to drink, what you'd like to eat. You can go ahead and get that now and um, get that ready. And, and even as you're getting it ready, let's just come back to this idea. And, and, and even in the, in the reality of this moment, as we remember what Christ has done for us, maybe part of remembering is kind of <laughs> acknowledging God, here's the, way, here's the way I sometimes misunderstand you. Here's the way I diminish you. Father, I sometimes just perceive you're distant and disinterested, and that just allows me to disconnect. Father, at times I've just treated you as a genie in a bottle. Maybe I've only seen you as a merciless judge at moments and feel stuck in the mistakes of my past. Or, so if, if there's a certain way in which you can acknowledge or, or you're attuned to the fact you've diminished God or misunderstood him, I just encourage you right now just to acknowledge that. It's like we we put that down, and in putting that down, (laughs) we take up the reality of who Christ really is and what he's done for us on the work of the cross. And so with that in mind, in light of who Christ really is, as we look at him and what he has done, for us let's now take this together Christ says this is my body it's it's broken for you this is my blood it's shed for you do this in remembrance of me now let's pray together Gracious God, in this moment, I pray that um, if there are ways that we've really diminished you or misunderstood you, I pray that, that, that you would just kind of confront us with that. And I pray that even as we're reminded of that, 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 that we could also just come back to the reality of who Christ is. In powerful terms, the Apostle Paul talks about the wonder of Christ in creation. So we, we live in a world that, that truly has a design and he is over creation. And sometimes it feels like it's ultimately out of control or it's meaningless, but that is not the case because of Christ. And furthermore, we, we, we live in a world where Christ has entered in to bring about the plan of restoration and renewal. And Father, sometimes it feels like you're distant or disinterested and yet, The truth is that plan is underway, and if we are followers of Christ, we are now a part of that. And he will be faithful to finish what he has started. So, Father, I I just pray that in this moment we could perhaps just put down those diminished perspectives of you and see Christ for who he truly is. And I pray these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, who makes that possible. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us. And as we start a new week, just be attuned to the reality that if, if you get locked into a distorted, a diminished view of God, it's going to have implications on who you are. So don't do that. Instead, look to the ways God has revealed himself. And let's ultimately look at how he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. Amen.